what is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss. Scott. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of your favorite Highway to Heaven comprehensive watch-through podcast. It's called Highway to Heaven Revisited. My name is Sam Hine. I'm the moderator of this podcast, and always I am joined by your congenial hosts. You hear the lovely voice of the one and only Rachel Mayer. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. How are you today, Rachel? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Glad to hear it. I'm jacked on some iced coffee. I have some endorphins running through my veins about learning what new and exciting Michael Landon happenings are going to happen in this big fat two-parter today. This is a very good episode. Excellent. Well, I'm very excited. excited. Jinx. (laughs) End of the podcast. And in your left ear, the one man in the world on a Highway to Heaven podcast with a slight cold today. The incomparable Joel Luters. Hey, Sam. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Oh, it's good to hear from you. This it's good is to hear a, from you too. Are you is... skyping in? For, you're <laughs> skyping in from Berlin. Yeah, Joel's on location today. <laughs> That's correct. This is such a good episode of Highway yes. to Heaven. I just want to say I'm really enjoying the show. This two-parter kind of uh, just confirmed it for me, but this is a very enjoyable show to be revisiting. I'm laughing out loud. There's been some audible gasps at times. Oh yeah, yeah, and some clap. You're clapping. I'm clapping. (laughs) Like, I found myself talking to my dad about this show. He's like, ah, I'm so sick of politics. It's making me so angry. And I'm like, you should watch some Highway to Heaven. It's kind of what the world's missing right now. It's the salve that the world needs to put on their skinned knees. Perhaps. It is. I think think we're really due for some Michael Landon. You know, more Michael Landon in our lives. I love it. Well, today, Joel and Rachel will be explaining to me exactly what went down on episodes six and seven of season one of Highway to Heaven. So if you haven't seen those yet and you're interested in having an unspoiled virgin experience, shut off this podcast right now. Go on your favorite streaming service and watch episodes six and seven of season one of Highway to Heaven and then rejoin us right now. Yeah, because there's definitely going to be spoilers. This is a comprehensive view. You guys watch the show. I don't watch the show. And we'll never actually have to truly watch the show because you explain every emotional beat in sequential order to me as it occurs. And I would say if you are going to watch any one episode of Highway to Heaven, this is the one I would recommend. I agree, but it would have to be two because this is a two-parter. Excellent. Well, let's get into that. But first of all, I do have a tiny bit of housekeeping to take care of from previous episodes before we crack into this two-parter on episodes six and seven of Highway to Heaven. I just want to admit a couple of my mistakes to uh, the internet trolls out there well in advance of them ever having an opportunity to respond to this themselves. All right, first order of business. On at least two podcasts, we established that Victor French, he's wearing a baseball cap. Right. This baseball cap has been referred to as an angel's baseball cap. Yes. Correct. Here is where we are wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Uh We have claimed that this is an angel's baseball cap. 
But during the editing process, I do have an entree to see a tiny bit of footage, and I'm doing this diligently that I never look at any of the next time ons before you guys come over and talk about them. Good. But Very honest of you. I do see these characters on film. And Victor French is wearing an Oakland A's cap. That is the Oakland Athletics. Same state, but it is not the California Angels. Well, I have now just been fully called out as a non-baseball fan because I have to admit, I realized it was an Oakland A's cap, but I just assumed that stood for Angels. (laughs) Isn't that the same (laughs) thing? Why wouldn't it stand for Angels? You know, just transpose that in my head. It made sense. Kind of a really dumb decision that they made that it just isn't an Angels cap. What's the next thing you have to apologize for? The next thing I would really like to apologize for is I would like to just personally apologize to one Ronnie Blakely, mostly because I didn't give her the credit she deserved in the moment on the podcast. I had recently watched Robert Altman's Nashville and had my brain turned inside out by such an amazing film. And I said something to the tune of, you know, Ronnie Blakely was in that movie and she was credited heavily as a songwriter in the end credits. I don't know who she was, though. And, uh, uh, well, quite frankly, after revisiting the, the trailer for the film and um, looking on IMDb and things, it's quite obvious that Ronnie Blakely is the star of the film Nashville. She plays Barbara Jean, perhaps the most prominent leading character in that film. So uh, please, Ronnie, if you're listening, please accept my most humble personal apology. You know, since we're doing a little corrections corner here, Sam, sure. I did realize all my healthcare professionals out there were probably yelling at the podcast as they were listening to our episode where we did talk about some street drugs known as Reds, and I talked about a drug class of families. The class is benzodiazepine. Everyone should know that. I did pronounce it incorrectly. So I want to make that clear. When you're talking about your drugs, such as Ativan, you're looking at your benzodiazepines. I don't know about you, Joel, but I I totally noticed and I wasn't going to say anything. I mean, it was already committed to tape, so I just didn't want to pull that out in editing and imitate her voice. <laughs> uh, to keep your marriage intact, we are going to skip Joel's impression of Rachel on the podcast. Uh, and I would like to come to my last order of housekeeping business in the episode involving the washed up Cowboys, the Masked Rider crew. At some point, I referred to Ernest Borgnine and Tim Conway portraying characters on the SpongeBob SquarePants children's television program, and I just for the life of me could not remember the name of their cartoon Batman and Robin characters. And for anybody listening who gives a flip about it, those two characters were Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. I think we might have lost a lot of listeners at this point based on all of this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being so patient. Rachel and Joel, I've talked far long enough. Please tell me, what is the name of this two-parter? Oh, we have it written down differently. Uh Uh-oh. I have one fresh batch of lemonade. And I have a fresh batch of lemonade. Huh. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, my God. I feel some more corrections coming on next time. Let's go with one fresh batch of lemonade, part one. Where do we begin? It's like a tracking shot interior, a close-up of baseball trophies. And the music is kind of a sentimental, slow violin music, which then when the camera centers over like a baseball trophy, it turns into this kind of random marching band music. And then that cuts out abruptly and then goes back to sentimental violin music. 
And the music does this multiple times. Multiple it goes times. from slow to upbeat pep music, slow, upbeat pep music. So it's like every time the shot stops on a trophy, the music changes. So I would say uh, right off the bat that this is a person who has some little league experience. After what must be at least like 30 seconds or so, then it just cuts to a loud, noisy hallway. Yes. So we're, we're changing scenes. We're at a pep rally <laughs> sports game, and there's just a shot of blue and white pom palms waving, pulling back to show cheerleaders, and then a shot of baseball players running down the... Kind of the, the hallway. hallway. <laughs> the locker room hallway. Yeah. What's that called? I don't know. Yeah, Out between the, the field, field and the locker room. Yeah. There's a team and everyone's cheering. We get a close-up of an older guy. He's kind of balding, long, kind of wild hair, and he's talking to a shorter mustached guy, and he's boasting about his kid to this other guy. He's like, ah, yeah, my kid's great. Well, and he has reason to be boasting because this other guy is actually a baseball scout from L.A. The shorter man is Mr. Martinez, and he's a baseball scout from L.A. They're specifically to look at this man's son. Uh, the son's name, this might get a little confusing. We'll feel our way through it. But so we have a father and son, Deke Sr. and Deke Jr. Okay. So the baseball player is Deke Jr. To keep things clear, we'll just call Deke Jr. Deke and uh, the dad. We'll just call him dad. dad. Okay, so Deke Sr. is talking to... The uh, scout. The scout, Martinez. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we get Deke Jr. walking into the scene, and Dad's like, come on over. I want to introduce you to Mr. Martinez, the scout. And Deke Jr. comes over. Everybody's all smiles. You're such a good player. You're only a junior. You still have a year left to play. So much promise. Mr. Martinez wants to take Deke Jr. out and get to know him a little bit and talk a little bit. Deke Jr. can't, though. He's got a date. He's He's like, sorry, guys, I got a date. I have plans. Got a date with Linda tonight. Man, Deke Jr. sounds cool. I guess we should back up. Deke Jr. is cool. I thought he looked like Kevin Bacon from Footloose. I had hints of David Cassidy. Feathered hair. Mm -hmm. Handsome young man. Great hair. uh, Dancer's body. I didn't notice that. (laughs) Before we leave this scene with the scout and father and son, dad says to Deke Jr. as he's walking off, he says, walk like a champion. And Deke Jr. says, you got it. Then walk walks out of the scene. Did it seem to you guys while watching this episode that Deke Jr. and Deke Sr. are a unified front? Are they both into this baseball thing? Is Deke Jr. on board for living his father's baseball dreams? It seemed like that to me at first. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Next shot, we're outdoors. Deke Jr.'s riding a motorcycle. He's happy. The wind (laughs) in his hair, sunny day out, just like speeding down the road on his motorcycle. It's a smaller motorcycle. (laughs) I don't know what kind it was. He's on a little ripper somewhere. Yep. Yep. I feel like the camera's on the handlebars being shot up at him. So you kind of see like from this chin and he's just smiling and hollering. He's actually chasing a convertible full of girls. Might be the happiest I've ever seen mm-hmm. anyone. Presumably these are girls he goes to high school with. <laughs> he pulls up alongside them on his motorcycle and they're like, you're so crazy. Stop, what are you doing? Stop acting crazy. And he's like, I am crazy. And he grabs one of their pom-poms and he starts waving it over his head. So picture him riding his motorcycle a little blue and white pom-pom waving it over his head girls are happy he's happy and then splat (laughs) for a minute 
Yeah, I had to. I didn't quite know how to keep going. He holds there. that pom pom up in the air, and then we cut to an old truck driving down the road. He crosses over the line. We hear brakes squealing. Everything goes black, and then, then in the next scene, we have a hard cut to a close up to the bottom of someone's shoes, pushing seventies exercise equipment, like yeah. doing leg presses. I hope you caught the gravity of that situation. Something bad has happened, Sam. Yes, uh, okay. it sounds like Deke Jr. has been hit by a car because he was flagrantly peacocking whilst on a motorcycle to the cheerleading squad. Presumably. And I'm going to assume that those are his legs that are working out in the gym, so somehow, miraculously, he survived being a total smear on the concrete and is somehow rehabilitating his broken skeleton. Well, he did survive. Those aren't his legs. But it is clearly a gym full of people recovering. We see people in wheelchairs. I think we see some braces. People in slings being lifted around. Hoisted, I would use the word hoisted. Yes, in a good old medical Hoyer lift. And now we're going to run into Michael and Mark. Or Victor and Jonathan. As Victor and Jonathan. So we have a a nurse is walking with uh, John and Mark. I swear I don't know how you two managed to get Niedermeyer to spring the money for two more physical therapy aids. All he ever talks about is how tight the budget is. We made him an offer he couldn't refuse. (laughs) What did you do? Threaten to slay his firstborn? No, my friend here just has a way with people. Mm, He must have if he could deal with Niedermeyer. (laughs) Anyway, that's what you need in this job, a way with people. You've got a patient here, uh, a Deke Larson. You know him? Oh, but a friend of mine was asking about him. Oh, that's a tough one. We haven't had too much luck with him, though. Star athlete, both legs lost below the knees. How's his family doing? Mm, his mother comes every day. She's tried to get him to start therapy, but it'll take time. And what about his father? Oh, he rarely comes. And when he does, he stays five minutes. He hasn't been around here in weeks now. There's been a major crisis in the family. Yeah. Doesn't sound like Deke Sr. is really uh, rising to the occasion. Is he a little ticked off yeah. that his baseball star is a double that, amputee? That's a safe assumption. Yeah. We'll find out more later, but that is a safe assumption. And so at that point, Jonathan tells Mark that Mark should just go visit Deke's parents. Is that normal for a physical therapy aid to make house calls? Oh, yeah. No. Super appropriate, right? So, yeah. I said I've worked in healthcare. This is a setting I've worked in before. I don't know how much we need to get into all the details. But in my experience, on your first day, when you haven't actually started work, you don't go visit patients' families. That's not typical. But that's what Mark's going to go do. We don't cut right to Deke Sr.'s house. We're actually going to go back to Deke Jr. now. So we're going to his hospital room where he is with Linda, his girlfriend. She was the girl from the convertible who gave him her pom Oh, through this tragic event, a new love has formed. Or, or is this the old love? I think this is the old love. And they're actually not quite in his hotel his, his hotel room, his hospital room. They're sitting out on the patio. They're outdoors having a conversation. Does Deke Jr. realize how lucky he is that this young woman has actually stuck around through his crazy event? What do you think, Sam? My money's on uh, he's an ungrateful jerk. He, he is an ungrateful, unhappy jerk extolled to me the virtues of uh, Deke Jr.'s present condition. He still has really good hair. He's sitting in his wheelchair. You know, obviously, we only have so much of a budget, so they're really not showing the legs at this point. We're pretty much just going from the torso up. They're not giving him the full Gary Sinise Forrest Gump? No, they're not. No. They're sitting with each other, and they're arguing. And uh, if it's all right with you, I believe Rachel and I could recreate this argument. 
Great. I would love to hear it. Who do you want to be, though, Joel? I'll leave that up for Sam. Would you like me to be Linda or would you like me to be Deke? Well, I think the most entertaining version of this, Joel, is where you're Linda and Rachel is Deke. All right, let's go for it. Everybody says to say hello. They did, huh? Oh, yeah, everybody, every body, every able-bodied person. Well, I bet that's all they do, sitting around thinking about me. (laughs) Everybody asks about you, Deke. Is that all you do, just sit around thinking about me? I, I think a lot about you. Yeah, but Linda, is that all you do? Just sit around thinking about me? On Friday night, are you going to sit around thinking about me, huh? Answer me. Are you just going to sit around thinking about me? I don't just sit around. That's all I do. Just sit around. You know this Friday night's the spring dance. Are you going to come sit around and think about me? Or maybe you want to come down here to the hospital and hold my hand. Yeah, I guess you've got plans for Friday night, right? I come to see you as often as I can, Deke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know how busy you are, too. Head cheerleader and all. You're out there shaking your tail feather for the boys in the band. Deke, why are you so mean? I'm being mean? Sorry, I was being mean. Guess I get a little mean when people talk about dancing. I'm nothing if I'm not footloose, right? I got the loosest feet in town, Linda. Do you want to see? I I think I'd better go. Yeah, I think you should go, too. Don't bother coming back, right? Wow, so much to unpack. Well, it being... uh, who? Okay, back to the hair for a second. Uh, Joel was saying Kevin Bacon. Who were you saying a second ago? I said David Cassidy, but not quite so long. Picture like a shag, but kind of just to the bottom of the ears, not all the way chin length or shoulder length. But there was a reference just now to foot loose. So uh, I have to say that the touchstone is probably more Kevin Bacon. I did honestly forget about that when I was giving my description. So I will concede that point. Thank you. Yeah. And then also, it's quite obvious to me that Deke Jr. is very fixated on the uh, the accident and the absence of his legs. Yeah, that's pretty clear, I think. He really brought it all the way around. She said, every body, and then he was like, body, body, my body. You hate my body. I don't like you. You said my body yeah, is bad. A lot of sitting, a lot of body. If anybody mentions anything within reach, it's going to go back to, oh, is that because I don't have any legs? Sorry, I get upset when people mention dancing. He was really going on and on about the thinking. He was really picking on her for thinking about him. Yeah, I know. That stood out to me as we were doing our great reenactment there. Don't think about me. I have to tell you, that reminded me a lot of uh, being in high school relationships. I feel like I wanted to control not just how I acted or how the people like I was in relationships with responded, but like I wanted to control the way they thought about me. Yeah, you were really trying to curate their experience of your relationship. Yes. I can relate to that a little. Oh, man. I just wanted to be in a relationship in high school. <laughs> Let's not dwell on a high school high school relationships. Today. Oh, but yeah, so much jealousy. Just lots like, of jealousy. Like, I remember just getting together and being like, "I'm only talking with you right now to figure out how many times you smiled today, and to see if that number's higher or lower than the number of times I smiled, yeah. and what can I do to make that even." Why were you talking to Steve's cousin in choir today, huh? <laughs> yeah. You let him talk to you in choir today. Yeah. You guys sound like awesome boyfriends. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty much the perfect specimen, um, highly desirable by all, and uh, I never made any mistakes. I don't know if I had enough backbone to actually say any of 
most of that, but it definitely got thought through. Really what I'm getting from this is we should have a little more empathy for Deke Jr. here. You know, yeah, he's I mean, a high school dude and oh, yeah. he just lost his legs and, you know, now he's kind of being a jerk. When I was in high school, I would have acted just as mean as him if I'd like lost my keys. <laughs> That's true. It's probably no surprise, but Linda storms off after that conversation. She's like, you told me to leave. I'm leaving. She actually doesn't come back. This is the last we see of Linda. Yeah, he's broken up with her. Yep. And so he's sitting on the, pow- uh, he's the patio. He's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's sitting on the patio. And guess who's standing there watching him have this little conversation with Linda? Is it Michael Landon? It is Jonathan. There's Michael Landon just standing back with his hands in his pockets. And then he walks up to Deke and taps him on the shoulder. And Deke, he thinks that Jonathan is the orderly or the nursing assistant. And he says, it's about time. I was waiting for you to come push me back inside. And then Jonathan introduces himself and he says, I'm coming to start work here tomorrow. I'm going to be your physical therapist, which is not accurate. They got hired as physical therapy aides. But, you know, I can't get into that too much because that goes on through the whole episode. He says, uh, you know, people, they don't come here to help me. People just come here so I can help them. So I can make them feel better. And Jonathan's just like, okay, yeah, at least the world kind of wants something from you. At least you're not like completely forgiven or forgotten. Yeah. He's like, well, can you give me my legs back? And John's like, nope. And he goes, well, then get out of here. So Deke is working very hard to isolate himself in a vast bulletproof cocoon of self-pity. Yeah, you might say he's pushing away everyone who could potentially help him. I mean, if something that awful happened to me during that point in my life, I, I don't think I would go out of my way to alienate the one cute girl from high school who's right. coming by to see me. Yeah, but so then Deke basically tells Jonathan to push him back to his room because yeah. they're still sitting outside and he gets mad because he's been sitting outside for too long and Jonathan says, well, if you didn't want to sit outside, why don't you just push off and push yourself back in? You've got arms, man. And Deke Jr. in his you know angst and upset just says, I'm not doing anything. If you want me back inside, you push me inside. And so jo- Jonathan pushes him back inside. Is that called obstinate defiant he's pretty mad in clinical terms he's just pretty pissed off pretty pissed off like Mm -hmm. on a scale of one to ten how pissed off are you (laughs) he probably wouldn't answer but i think he's a 10 they go back into his hospital room and they find sitting on the bed a stack of school books because you know deke is still in school and jonathan asks what are those books about and deke's like ah get them off the bed some goofy broad she came by here once and she keeps coming to drop off my books and i told her to buzz off if we could all be so lucky to have deke's problems yeah not only does he have Linda, the head cheerleader. He also has some goofy broad come and dropping off his homework for him. So in your mind, that was yet another schoolmate stopped by? Yes. I can't say exactly why, but it was pretty clear to me that it was a different person. It was not Linda. Just another one of those pretty girls coming yep. by to make sure that Deke Jr. doesn't fail out of high school after such a traumatic event occurred in his life. Yep. But Deke's, he's not counting his blessings at this point. All right. So Deke is still in school. He doesn't want to do his homework because that would be using his hands. He doesn't want to do it. <laughs> He's not going to do anything. So I think at this point, is this when Deke brings out the letter, Joel? Yes. Okay. They're still in Deke's room and he shows Jonathan a letter that he's actually received from Richard. Richard right. was the driver of the truck that was part of the accident 
with Deke. How do you think Deke received that letter? He wasn't open to the message of the guy whose truck he slammed into. Right. But the scene does culminate with Deke yelling, just get the hell out of here at Jonathan. In previous episodes, when the H-E double hockey sticks word has been used, it has resulted in malfunctioning machinery. Has any of the machinery rendered useless after Deke Jr. uttered the phrase hell? No, but it was very effective in uh, Jonathan leaving the room. Yeah, Jonathan got the hell out of there. When I grew up, I was never supposed to say uh, H-E double hockey sticks. So seeing it in television, something always seems to happen. And in that, there was like, get the hell out of here. And he walks out. My parents swore rather freely compared to other classmates of mine throughout my life. And occasionally, in private, a couple of my friends would confide in me that they were astonished by how much my parents swore uh, in comparison to theirs. And I remember one friend saying like, wow, you said hell in front of your mom? Oh, yeah. I can barely get away with crap and darn in my house. Yeah, I couldn't say fart in my house. Me either. What is the point? I mean, parenting is hard enough (laughs) when you like have to like limit the amount of words which people can express themselves with. You couldn't say fart. No. Think of how much energy your mom and dad could have saved themselves if they just allowed the word fart to be permitted in their house. And it was just me. I have one older sister. Can you imagine if we were boys? I mean, wow, it it wasn't too big of a hardship because I wasn't throwing around the fart bomb all that often. But but yeah, if she had a household of boys, that would have just been ridiculous. No doubt. All right, moving on. So Michael Landon is disgusted Midwestern white person style by the use of the H-E-L-L word. So therefore, the argument from the double amputee in the room is rendered null and void, actually devoid of message because of the blasphemy that has occurred. Right. I mean, he has he has gotten what he wanted. He has driven everyone away, even Michael Landon. So Mark shows up at uh, Deke Sr.'s house, except Deke Sr. is nowhere to be found. Has there been a missing persons report filed at this point? <laughs> no. No. Uh, mom is there. I don't. I Susan. think she's just... Thank you. I was going to say, I don't know mom's name. I just have her as mom. Uh, so Susan in Invites Mark in. Mark introduces himself once again as Deke's physical therapist. This is not standard. You don't go to patients' houses and introduce yourself. But Susan is very happy to have him come in. And Mark starts looking at the trophy shelf. So we're back to the trophy shelf. Impressive, aren't they? Oh, Deke won his share of awards, didn't he? Those are my husbands. Oh, it said Deke Larson on them, I thought. Deke Sr. Deke Juniors are on that wall. You can feel the competition, can't you? Even when there's no one in the room. How do you mean? You're not going to have any luck with Deke Jr. Getting him into physical therapy. Wish I I knew what to do, but I don't. I think this room just about says it all. I'm not sure I follow. My husband wanted to be a ball player. A major leaguer. He was good, too. He was the best in his school. Just not quite good enough. He had a couple of years in the minor leagues. He had some tough breaks, but he never made it into the majors. Do you understand? Mrs. Larson, I thought we were talking about your son, not your husband. When Deke Jr. was born, Deke bought him a ball, a bat, and a glove. He had him shagging flies when he was two years old. I used to get upset until I I saw that's what Deke Jr. wanted, too. Oh, he wanted it for his dad, but he wanted it just as much for himself. The only thing he's ever wanted in his entire life 
was to grow up and be a major league ball player. This is the second time that we see a pair of bronze baby booties mixed in with the trophies. Did you guys have those at your house growing up? Those were a thing for a minute. Oddly enough, I still have those at my house, but they're not mine. They're my dad's. I think my grandmother's house on my mom's side, there was at least one or two of them around. And I cannot remember where along the line or how I ended up with my father's, but they've been in my apartment for years. When you flip around and look at Deke Jr.'s pile of trophies... Is it vastly smaller? It's still pretty impressive. I mean, he is only 17, but I would say it was an impressive trophy shelf. And just based on the fact that there was a scout there, you know, I think they had reason to believe in this dream that Deke Jr. might make it. Susan says explicitly that the accident ended two sets of dreams. And Mark says he'd like to talk to dad about it. And Susan says, well, here's his phone number and address. You can go talk to him over there. Whoa, Deke Sr. can't deal with it. Right. Last week, just the week before, they'd separated. Well, it sounds like Deke Jr. and Deke Sr. are definitely offspring of this generation of American males who... Uh, just aren't allowed to ever express any emotions. No, you know, um, it's, it's all anger. And anger is a secondary emotion. They're not in touch with what's actually going on here. So does Mark head right over to Deke Sr.? Not quite. We first learn one more piece of information, and that is that Deke Jr. doesn't know that his parents oh, have yeah. separated. Well, that makes sense. He's already got enough to uh, fixate on. But instead of uh, going to meet the father at Safari Inn, we get treated to a special little, um, I don't know, interstitial? Kind of like a special little side, what would you call this? Like uh, I don't know. I don't know what that word means. You know, something that just sort of pops in without a lot of context or maybe contextualizes itself somehow. Mm. Uh, that sounds like the exactly the right word. <laughs> Oh my gosh. If not, we'll apologize for it in the next episode. I didn't realize I was mediating an argument here. Uh, what do you guys... So what happens in this, no, no. in the aforementioned interstitial? We're at a parking lot, and we see a blue 1970s Grand Prix big boat of a vehicle pull in a handicapped parking spot. Does it have the appropriate signage and stickers? You know it doesn't. Two teenagers get out. Very lanky, very skinny teenagers. Healthy looking. They get out. Four legs, no crutches, no wheelchairs. No crutches. Clearly not handicapped. No no placards, no signs on their car. Not handicapped. The show was filmed in 1984. They do use the word handicapped and crippled throughout the show. At the time, that was acceptable verbiage. Maybe not ideal, but it was commonly used. We might use a few of those going forward just when we're talking about the dialogue, but I think all of us know that we don't say handicapped handicapped anymore. Well, but we certainly don't say crippled anymore. No. I think they still refer to handicapped parking spots as handicapped parking spots. They but that, certainly I think, do. I think we're trying to move away from that in general. That one is just pretty stuck in our cultural norms, though, unfortunately. Is the appropriate term disabled? The correct verbiage at this point is to say a person with a disability because it's something they have. You're not labeling them as something. So these two young men get out of the car and Jonathan's there and he says, hey, you're parked in the handicap spot. And the teens are like, so what? Yeah, man, I'll just be in the store for a minute. It's no big deal. Quit ruining my life. Look, mister, it isn't any of your business where I park. Yeah, and the kid says, maybe you want to make me move my car. At which point Jonathan looks to the 
heavens. He gives a nice heavenward glance, like to check with the big boss and see if he's got any juice to do anything. And Jonathan shakes his head and says no. And he's turning mm-hmm. the other cheek. I do like the tension to that moment where he's sort of like checking that. whether or not he has any permission to... Yep, he does not. ...beat up some miners in a parking lot in front of the Ben Franklin store. Mm-hmm. And the boys are like, yeah, we told you you didn't. And then they walk off into the bookstore, actually. They say, wow. keep your mouth mm-hmm. shut if you can't back it up. And then they go to the bookstore. And John looks heavenward again and shakes his head and says it isn't easy sometimes. So John goes into the bookstore and he's perusing the books. He actually ends up purchasing a book. So we see see Jonathan at the counter buying a book. We don't see what book at this point. It's probably for Deke Jr. though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. How'd you get that? I didn't... It might be. Uh, but so as this transaction is happening, a cop comes walking into the bookstore. Cop says, uh, anybody in here own that blue car out in the parking lot? And the boys are like, why? That's ours. And the cop says, "Whoa, you better come with me. And this is where Rachel turns to me and says, I bet God flipped their car upside down. <laughs> that is true. I forgot about that. One of the most diabolical things anybody did to me in high school was one of the guys on the wrestling squad thought it was cool to put Vaseline on my windshield wipers. Ooh, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, but that's a real good way to ruin a pair of windshield wipers is just smear Vaseline on the bottom edge of them. So it just like makes a Vaseline smear. But then it also like degrades the rubber of the wipers pretty quickly. Now, was it Isn't that super dangerous because you need them during a rainstorm and now you're smearing like... yeah. It's a real dick move. Super dangerous. I remember in high school doing a few like saran wrapping people's cars and toilet papering people's cars. Shaving cream. Did you guys ever see Oreos? We did Oreos every once in a while. (laughs) No, that's that's just a waste of cookies. We just had good clean fun, me and my friends. I remember one time in high school, I hung out with a group of girls from one of the choirs or something, Mm -hmm. and we drove out into the country, and they were watching Clockwork Orange in the basement of this house. That's unexpected. country house. Yeah. And then at some point, we all left the basement because we had to go drive a little further into the country and TP somebody's house. Mm -hmm. Let's just say choir girl number five wasn't at the party, but her house was nearby, and she had a very long driveway lined with some very tall trees so we drove somewhere close to her driveway but we hadn't parked the cars inconspicuously enough Uh so while the TPing was happening one of the neighbors drove by and saw us doing it and somehow triangulated it so that when we arrived back at the previous location we were at watching a movie down in the basement we had to immediately do a (laughs) u-turn and go back to choir girl number five's house and remove our well I would say it was an immaculate TP job we should go TP somebody's house. It would be highly unexpected at this point. You know, like one of our friends. And they would only find out once they've gotten, you know, this many episodes <laughs> in. Yeah. It was us. Yeah. We'll find out. So who whoever you are, are, you're tingling right now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get spotted while removing the toilet paper? I don't really recall anything else happening other than like we felt really good about how awesome we TP'd mm-hmm. Choir Girl number five's house. And then as soon as we got back to where we were, the parents were like, nope. You guys got to go back. And after you do that, go home. Yeah. You're like, oh, but we've got still like 10 more minutes of uh, Clockwork Orange. I got to know what that bodybuilder's doing with that old man. Still to this day, I don't think I've actually seen Clockwork Orange all the way through. Ugh, I have. I enjoyed reading the book, 
because half of it's written in jargon. You have to start creating your own little translation book, kind of flipping back and forth to figure out the jargon. That was a unique experience for me to do that while reading. But ultimately, I think a lot of the message gets lost. Yes. Uh, let's save our clockwork orange dissertations for another day, perhaps. It still remains to this day a very polarizing film for many viewers, mm-hmm. uh, myself included. Since I derailed us with that amazing story, <laughs> I have completely <laughs> forgot where we oh my goodness. were going here. Rachel turns to me and says, oh man, I bet God flipped their car upside down. So then they go out in the parking lot, God flipped their car upside down. Whoa. Totally. Sitting in the handicapped parking spot, but now with the wheels in the air. Upside down. Good guess, Rachel. Yes. Five points. So the boys walk out and understandably they're all like... What happened? Who did this to him? What? And then the cop says, wait, you were parked in a handicap zone? I'm going to write you up for that. Yeah, so nice. Not only does their car get flipped, they're getting a ticket for parking illegally as well. Well, those are your just desserts. Mm-hmm. So as the boys are gesticulating wildly and they're upset trying to figure out what happened, Jonathan walks by. One of the boys says, how did this happen? Jonathan again smirks and looks heavenward and says god knows little chuckle and keeps on walking well i guess we got a good handle on what kind of juice michael landon had that Mm -hmm. day i mean it seems like god really can do the angel magic business but on cars mostly yeah a lot of stopping cars the first time flipping a car. Again, it's also the not subtle. Oh, not at all. If we're wielding power, there are definitely more discreet ways to do it, but not as dramatic or funny by any means yeah. as flipping the car. Nice. Mm-hmm. Are we going back to the rehab facility for more of Deke Jr.'s bad attitude? Very briefly. This is a short stop. We're outside of Deke Jr.'s room. We meet a new girl. It's a cute little nerdy girl. I can tell she's nerdy because she's wearing big glasses. She's holding a pile of school books. So she turns to Jonathan and she asks him to bring the books into Deke. And he says, well, why, why, don't, you, why don't you just go bring them in yourself? And she's like, he got mad at me. I, I, don't, I, I can't go in there. Will you just bring them? And Jonathan's kind of like, uh, he's just sizing up the situation. And he just agrees. He says, okay. And he takes the books and that, that's it. It's just a short little scene. But we have met our, our new female character, dorky girl with glasses. She sounds so ugly with those glasses. She's kind of sure. short, too. Gee whiz. Ooh. What a nerd. Total nerd. That's the fantasy that we're all raised on is, you know, you just need the right person to come along and take your glasses off. Maybe throw a blue dress on you. And your world will change. <laughs> Suddenly, yeah. everyone will see everything that you've known about yourself all along. Yeah. John does bring Deke Jr. his books, and Deke Jr. is still mad. And Jonathan says, well, maybe you don't want your school books. Maybe you want to take a look at this book and hands him the book from the bookstore. Uh, mint condition hardcover copy of King James Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. It's just a simple book about a person with a disability who just went on to become the president of the United States. It was called Eleanor and Franklin. Mm -hmm. So he's wanting Deke to read a biography about Franklin Roosevelt. And the scene ends just with Jonathan telling Deke, hey, you've got an appointment for physical therapy with me tomorrow. Be there. And then he leaves the room. So in the next scene, we are now in a gymnasium. To me, this is like a workout gym where there's bodybuilders, big beefcakey bodybuilders lifting. This is like Gold's Gold Gym, Muscle Beach. 
Yeah, this regular is, this is bodybuilders. But in Michael and Mark are walking in together in track suits. They're looking around. Victor French is like, whoa, look at that big old guy. And this is like seven foot tall guy walks past him. He goes, that guy's too big. Wouldn't even fit through the pearly gates. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting this angel thing, aren't I? And so they were walking around. They're looking at the exercise equipment. And Mark, a.k.a. Victor French, is like, oh, wait a minute. It's a chin-up bar. I remember doing these back in my police academy days. I got this. And he walks over and he puts his hands up to just start doing chin-ups. And he can't do one. He's, he's struggling to do one. And while he's pulling himself up and he just drops and he's just hanging there, then a female bodybuilder comes walking towards them. Super hot. Super hot. Um, and wearing like those 80s shorts that are pulled up really, really tight. Tight, little booty shorts. Uh-huh. She hops on the facing chin-up bar and just starts doing actual pull-ups with her hands facing the correct way and just starts knocking out pull-ups and just looking at him and smiling. And as she's doing that, Mark's still hanging there, huffing and puffing, looking a little uncomfortable, and he just starts to say, after you've done a bunch of chin-ups, it's good to just hang for a while. Let your muscles relax. She finishes her set. She smiles at them both and then just walks off. Mark turns to Jonathan and says, hey, did you see that girl? John replies, yeah, you really impressed her. <laughs> yeah, it was a good, it was a good moment. A little twinkle in his eye, a little smirk. I yeah, like that Michael it was, Landon smirk. It was that little moment where we were just like, oh, these guys are having so much fun. So then we're still in the gym and we see John and this other man with white skin whose age is in the middle range. A new white guy. A person with white skin are on exercise bikes together. <laughs> yeah, is he white? It's not the most defining characteristic of him. It's just one of the things that he happens to have. Let's just move on past that. Is this guy a patient there? No, so this is a regular gym, like a Gold's gym. But they're at this gym for a particular reason. Yes. To talk to this particular person. Mm -hmm. They're scouting for role models. They're trying to find somebody who can help crack open the turtle shell that has formed around Deke Jr.'s heart. You're on the right track. John sits down next to someone who we learn his name is Robert Halverson. And Robert, we learn, is the father of the boy who was driving the truck that struck Deke. John's yeah. like, you know, I know what happened. I know your son was the one who drove the truck. And, and they kind of just move over that really quickly. Guy is yeah. totally fine with Jonathan invading his personal space while he's working out and bringing up really personal things to talk about. Yeah. It is a solid Michael Landon effect. This is what we see over and over again. People mm -hmm. are very comfortable talking about intimate details of their lives with Michael Landon. He tells John that his son is really depressed. Yeah, he's dreaming about the accident every night. His son blames himself. The son wrote Deke a letter, which we already spoke of. Deke blames the son for the accident, even though it was it was Deke's fault. And it's wrecking his son's, you know, career. Yeah, and John says, I, I saw your son compete at state last year. He almost took the meet. He almost took the all-around. I think the odds are good that he's going to win the all-around this year, right? He's like, no, my son's super depressed. Yeah, he can't compete anymore. He can't do anything. It would mean the whole world to him if Deke would call him and, and just tell him not to blame himself. And John says, if your boy could help Deke, do you think it would make a difference? Make all the difference in the world. Yeah. John kind of just gives a pointed, poignant look and says, yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch with your son. Okay. And this is interesting Give story. A couple days. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't taken into account that there'd be a possibility that the person behind the wheel of the truck that hit Deke Jr. could actually be somebody relatively close to Deke's own age. Right, we have, we have somebody else who's been deeply affected by the accident. Some parallel lives.
lives. Yes. It's like two sets of problems. All right. So are we going to explore this in the next scene? Are we going to go meet this young man? We're going to just pause that storyline. We will come back to it. And we're actually going to rejoin our cute little nerdy girl. Cute nerdy girl is back at the hospital again with the homework. But before she goes into Deke's hospital room, she takes her glasses off and thinks about him. She shakes her head no. Like, oh, no. And puts them back on her. Yep. But then she takes them off again real fast and goes in the room. Hi, I just brought some here. Look, I thought I told you to stay away from here. I'm not interested in doing any homework, so just buzz off. No, I'm not going to buzz off. I'm not going to buzz anywhere. You might be the best-looking boy in school and all that, but I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. You have no right to be rude to me. Why do you keep coming around here anyway? I mean, are you doing a report on cripples or something like that? I just want to be your friend. I'm very smart, and I can help you with your schoolwork. Or we could just talk. Whatever. My phone number's on your assignment sheet. If you want me to come over, just call, and I'll be here. You will, huh? Yeah. Okay. How about Friday night at 8 o'clock? What's the matter? Can't make it. That's right. Friday's a spring dance, huh? Oh, well, I guess we'll just forget it then assuming she'd be going to the dance because in Deke's world everybody goes to the dance to <laughs> celebrate the fact that Deke has no legs and he can't come that's yep. why everybody's going to that dance party but he overlooked the fact that she's totally a nerd yeah. she's not going to the dance did it register with him that she said he was the most pretty boy in school no he doesn't really respond to it oh boy yeah okay. he might he's probably heard that before he says come by on Friday so the girl is totally in no surprise she says Friday night I'll be there. She finally has her first date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether Deke knew or not, his bluff got kind of called. Oh, yeah. Somebody he can't push away quite yet. I hope so, he gets uh, three or four more tries to be grumpy at her before she finally can't take it anymore. <laughs> this is a two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> she's about ready to leave. She's like, great, Friday night, see you then. And she goes to leave, and right as she's about to leave, he yells out to her. Hey, what's your name anyway? I don't even know your name. Eleanor. <laughs> That figures. Picks up his uh, biography of Franklin and Eleanor and kind of shakes his head. Ken Buck says that Eleanor has sat directly behind Deke in nearly every class of their (laughs) scholastic career, but Deke is too cool thinking about his legs and his hair and his baseball to notice her. Like reached out and almost like straightened his hair and back that's a little out of line, but just can't quite bring herself to do it. Mm -hmm. Just sitting staring at the back of his head. Memorizing the moles on the back of his neck. Now she's got a date for Friday. So she leaves and then John shows up. He says, how's the book going? Which means it's about 10 in the morning Mm -hmm. because they said, meet me at 10. Which then that also means that she was in his room on like a Tuesday at 9.45. Yeah, you you did She's skipping class. Well, and hope she had a note from her parents for that. What I said is she's such a good student. My guess is maybe the school just gave her first period to go bring the invalid as books. You know, maybe she's getting her like volunteer points. If you're a smart kid in school and you get your stuff done, you could get away with like an insane amount of things. Yes, I was actually just going to chime in with something like that. If you're a smart kid and you uh, establish yourself as a good kid, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah, occasionally I would do that in school. I would act out on a particular day, mostly because we're all sort of teenagers and going through stuff. But if I ever acted out, there would be very little long-term consequences because they'd be like, what's going on? Sam's acting out today. He's all obstinate in English class in seventh grade. I do think growing up... uh, not being able to say uh, fart 
or H-E double hockey sticks or, or, or butt. Oh my gosh. You're such a good kid. But I do think it did force me to talk in a certain way. So like the way that I spoke just became slightly different. I think I got allowances like what you were saying last episode about yes. wearing a suit. It's all about learning when to break the rules. When I was in high school, I went to a very small uh, religious Christian school and it was actually attached to and affiliated with the church. I was pretty good friends with the youth pastor at the church. And so in my later years in high school, if I wanted to get out of class, I would just tell them that I needed to go talk to the youth pastor because I was going through something uh-huh. and they would just give me a pass to go talk to the youth pastor and he would just let me hang out at his office and read books and do whatever I wanted to do. So for all our teenage listeners out there, we're really imparting some good life wisdom here. Yeah. Yes. So then John shows up, sees that the kid is reading the book about Roosevelt. Is he reading it? He hasn't even cracked it no. yet. That means using his hands and he's clearly established that he isn't doing jack squat. Yes, I'm actually glad you brought that back up. Right. Deke is going to therapy. I think Jonathan might have just pushed him in his wheelchair so he didn't have any choice. So now he's pushing him down the hallway. Jonathan says the therapy gym is called the Lemonade Factory. I gotta take you to the Lemonade Factory, man. Yeah, because life has dealt so many lemons here. Yes. This is where you make lemonade, son. You've heard that saying before then. <laughs> I have heard that saying before. Deke isn't really impressed by that, though. We are, because we know that's the name of the episode. It's a a glass of lemonade. So we're back in the rehab gym. Deke is there. We actually are just kind of shown a wide shot of, again, people in wheelchairs doing rehab exercise. Mark is actually working, doing some range of motion stretching with a guy on a table. So there's a guy laying down on a table, and Mark is lifting up and manipulating his legs through a series of stretches. Deke is set next to somebody else. And now we're going to meet a pretty important new character. There's a man in his wheelchair sitting at a table using a mouth stick, which is literally what it sounds like, about a foot-long stick that he's holding in his mouth to turn the pages of a book that's sitting on a little stand on the table. Knocks the book off the table. Mark is really close by, and so the guy says, hey, hey, Mark, I knocked my book off. Can you pick my book up for me? And it's pretty well established at this point, the man in the wheelchair cannot pick up the book, cannot use his arms. He's not just using that mouth stick for fun. It looks Man, like... this guy's got it worse than Deke Jr. Yes. So as he asks Mark to get the book mm-hmm. for him, Mark turns to Deke and says, hey kid, get Scotty's book for him. And Deke yells back at Mark, hey, you got legs, get it yourself. And Scotty, the man in the wheelchair, turns to Deke and says, hey, man, ain't you got arms? Burns. Burns everywhere. Yeah, Deke actually feels it. Yeah, he does. He looks a little chastened, and he picks up the book. I'm glad somebody is at least standing up to Deke. Yeah. So uh, Deke picks up the book, puts it back on the stand. And then Scotty asks Deke, hey, how long have you been on wheels, man? And Deke says two months. Two months. So we're learning a little more about Scotty. Scotty is the man in the wheelchair. Uh, Squatty... Scotty, Squatty, what's his name? Scotty. Scotty Scotty is awesome. And Scotty, we will learn, will become the most reoccurring character on Highway to Heaven. Heaven. Since you're bringing that up, this is something very interesting about the show. Scotty is played by an actor named James Trosh, Jim Trosh, who is a quadriplegic in real life. And that, in 1984, was certainly not common to use actors with disabilities to portray actors with disabilities. It's still very uncommon. We've spoken a little bit about Michael Landon, and there's themes of social justice running through a 
lot of Highway to Heaven. But in this episode, I was very impressed with his use of an actor who actually has a disability to portray the quadriplegic actor. And the more I was thinking about it a little bit, it really is positioned interestingly in history that he did this because in the 70s and 80s, there was legislation passed that was supposed to grant rights to people who had a disability, but in large part, it wasn't enforced. Jump forward a couple decades, the passage of the ADA in 1990, and that has brought about most of the changes that we now take for granted in our lives. Yeah, and that boils down to things like Braille on elevators and handicap accessible entrances. Yeah, things that seem simple now and seem obvious were not very recently in our history. And so smack dab in the middle of that history is Michael Landon advocating for people not to park in the handicapped parking spots, visibly showcasing an actor with a disability. And as we'll see, really just showcasing him as a regular person like the rest of us. I respect that too. Thank you for bringing that up, Rachel. And never shy away from getting on your soapbox because this is your podcast after all. Okay, so lead me to the next series of events here. Scotty is the character we've been talking about. For Scotty, from the neck down, he really doesn't have any usage of his arms or legs. And so he starts giving Deke a little piece of wisdom. He says, you've got to concentrate on the minute, concentrating on what you can do. When you see something pretty, you've got to really see it and feel it. You know, when I'm reading a book or watching a movie, no matter what your body skill is, no one can appreciate it more than I can, than you can. you got to live in the minute. And then he gives Deke a nickname to it's calling him Deke the Geek. And Deke does say, well, when you're not living in the moment, what do you do with the rest of the time? And Scotty says, well, there are times when it's going to stink. But hell, everybody's life stinks sometimes. And then he's like, well, Deke, I've got to go to law class. See you later, Deke the Geek. And then Deke watches as he slowly backs up his automatic wheelchair. He presses his cheek and jaw against a joystick and you watch him as his machine slowly backs up and goes down the hallway and you watch him navigate around the equipment. So we've met Scotty. Here's what I liked about this. And it's the same thing that I liked about that movie about the person who had the space helmet and they had the... Oh, Joel's referring to um, the movie Wonder that came out in the past few years. Are you familiar with that movie, Sam? I recall the the poster and hearing a little bit about it. It's based on a book that is an excellent book. It's just about a little kid who has a pretty severe facial deformity. And it's, it's about just, them, their first year of like kindergarten. Well, going it's to his public. first year of going to elementary school. I believe it's yeah. about fifth grade because his yeah, parents grade. kept him home. What I like about Wonder was when you first meet the child with the facial deformity, you you have the impulse to stare. And then I feel like there's a little voice inside you that goes like, why am I staring? I should feel weird about that, right? Well, there's something wrong with them, right? Because I'm okay. But then what they do, what I like so much and wonder is the kid's nervous about going to school. And so he puts on an astronaut's helmet. And so then for like 20 minutes of the movie, the kid has an astronaut's helmet on and you don't see his face. It's got a tinted black screen. So then you go through the movie and you're like, oh yeah, hey, I know that kid already. Yep, that's him. He's in the astronaut's helmet. Okay. People should be really nice to this kid because I know him. He's on my side. Takes the Mm -hmm. helmet off and I'm like, oh yeah wait whoa yeah you have to really reckon with your feelings because yeah you see the kid again and you go oh whoa i'm feeling that unusual feeling again but like i'm on his side and i'm against these other people who are like acting weird about him but i got to be quote-unquote shielded from seeing what caused that reaction at least that was my takeaway that's why i liked it so much because it made me uncomfortable then you Mm -hmm. go oh wow Okay. We're in the woods here on Tangent City, but uh, since we're here, it's a little documentary called How's Your News? It's this documentary about adults with disabilities, and they all go to the same summer camp, Camp Jabberwocky. And they would have one of the campers just go around and interview other campers at the camp. How the movie came about is that Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the co-creators of South Park, Mm -hmm. got a hold of one of these tapes made at the summer camp, and they were like, this is amazing. 
it's weird that we're the South Park guys, okay. but we see the humanity in your tapes, right. and we are going to give you enough money so that six or eight campers from this camp got into a van, and they went and took a road trip across America and interviewed quote-unquote normal people on the street. But what's beautiful about the movie is watching the people who get interviewed by these campers wrestle with their initial reaction. They have to come to terms right in the moment with the person that's interviewing them, and it really can make people turn around on a dime because you can see on the faces of a lot of the people being interviewed, they're just like, oh, this is some kid with Down syndrome. Why is he interviewing me? And then by the end, they're laughing and realizing that there's an actual three-dimensional human being underneath that facade. That they're not just doing them a favor by taking the time to answer a few questions. Yeah. How's Your News remains a very unknown film, but yeah, no, I would I I'd say it. that it is quite, uh, it's, it's pretty important. I'll check pretty it out. That sounds, that sounds pretty good. No, I, I have not heard of that one before. Well, we digress. Uh, I'm Just glad to know that Michael Landon was at the forefront of empowering this section of humanity here. I think that is going to be a theme throughout the series and just throughout his life that that's the type of person he was. We're now at the Safari Inn where uh, Mark is meeting with a drunk Deke Sr. Dad. Deke Dad. He's soused to the gills. Mm -hmm. And this is where we have our Quantum Leap connection. Nice. I was hoping that we'd have a Quantum Leap connection this Uh, episode. Three in a row. The dad here is actor Jim Heine. He was in Quantum Leap Season 5, Killing time. He played Sheriff John Hoyt. It was an episode where Sam leaps into a hostage situation, but he's the fugitive killer. Meanwhile, in Al's time, which is 1999, the real killer has broken out of the Quantum Leap Project facility. Oh yeah, that's the whole thing, is that whoever Sam switched bodies with ended up in some sort of, like, holding tank. So Al's running around looking for this escaped killer. Yeah, he's looking for Charlie Manson, right? Right. That's a high-stakes episode for for Sam Beckett. Probably more notably, Jim Heine, he was in Pretty in Pink and he played the school principal where he has the line that he gives to Molly Ringwald, if you give off signals that you don't want to belong, people will make sure you don't. Did you really like that movie growing up? It wasn't one of my favorites. No, it wasn't. I mean, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen Pretty in Pink, to be completely honest. Everybody who loves Pretty in Pink is yelling at us right now. It does have a very loyal following. I'm more of a some kind of wonderful kind of girl. I like planes, trains, and automobiles. Anyway, Joel, please continue. So Mark is talking to Deke Sr. who's drinking a beer. And he's basically saying, your son needs you, man. Your son needs a dad. Mark says, my dad was a stone cutter. When I was a kid, all I wanted to be was a stone cutter. Deke's dad's like, I was a baseball player, but I failed at that. And now my son can't even try to be that. I'm a failure. Me not know how to talk about anything but baseball. Drunk caveman in motel by self. Leave alone. Pretty much. And Mark's just like, well, you know what you need to do? You just need to stop blaming yourself. And you just need to get over your problems and help your son out. Because your son needs a dad. Every son loves their dad no matter what. You know, this is actually good advice on Mark's part. Uh, I'm a little happy with what's coming from Mark this time around. Mark does redeem himself a bit in this episode. And right before Mark leaves, Deke Sr. turns to Mark and says, you know what? I blame myself because I bought him that motorcycle. I'm glad Mark showed up so this guy can at least like hear about how you should deal with your feelings. Because yeah. it doesn't seem like Deke Sr. is doing anything other than just complicating things. I mean, you could say Deke Sr. and Deke Jr., seem to be of the same mold. But now there's no more baseball. Deke Sr. sits down, feels sad, and we cut 
to Blue Fabric. We're back to Eleanor, our little book smart nerd. We're at her house and she is dressed up. She's wearing a very fancy looking blue dress. She's got a little flower in her hair. She's got some nice jewelry on and she's talking to her parents. Her parents think she's going to the dance. She's really going rogue for this hot jock she knows at the rehab facility. She just needed the right guy to bring it out in her. Doesn't she say the guy's coming, but his car broke down, so she's going to just walk over and meet him there. He just lives a couple blocks away. And her dad gets so upset, he's not having it. Oh, no. If you can walk, he can walk with you. Now, you call him back and tell him to come over here. Oh, Daddy, I can't go. Don't owe Daddy me, Eleanor. Believe me. Boys have more respect for girls who ask to be picked up properly. Daddy, that is so old-fashioned. Well, I'm old-fashioned. And as long as you live in my house, you're going to be a little old-fashioned, too. The phone. So she doesn't know what to do. She's kind of just bluffing her way through it. She goes and starts to pick up the phone, and all of a sudden we hear... Sounds like an angel magic mobile. Mm-hmm. And it really is. It's great. It's Jonathan in the cutest little convertible. I wrote orange British sports car convertible. It's the cutest car and it's in one scene and no explanation. So it must be angel magic. Jonathan Zerny opens up the passenger door from the driver's seat. Hey, it's John. You want to ride? And she's like, do I? <laughs> Are we ever actually going to go to that dance? We get a shot of Deke in his room and he's in his hospital bed, but he's got one of the triangle trapeze pulleys above his bed and he can pull himself up on it. So he's doing some pretty impressive looking triangle trapeze pull-ups. So she walks in and he's just like working out. out. He's like (laughs) 1,017,859. 1,017,860. First of all, he's surprised to see her because he didn't realize that she was actually going to show up. He assumes that she's just stopping by on her way to the dance. And she thought it was a date. She didn't realize that he is the biggest dink in the world. And she says, Oh, no, no, no. I just had to tell my parents I was going to the dance to come here. So I had to get dressed up to fool them. She says something about how her mom really wants her to be popular and go to dances. So that gives a little more context to why she's telling the lie. It starts to get a little awkward for me here. Yes. Eleanor is getting pretty vulnerable. She's kind of giving me like stalker vibes. Some of the things that she said were just so desperate. And I felt like if it was a male character, they would have been like, oh yeah, this guy's totally a stalker. Yeah, but and it gets it, worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, I'll hang out with you in any capacity that you want to. If you want me to change, I'll change for you. If you want me to be different, I'll be different. What, what, what do, who do I have to be to make you like me? This girl seems to have read my book about how to be in high school relationships. Uh, she tells him, I almost asked you to go to the dance, but I, I, oh my gosh, I never thought I'd tell you that. First of all, she says she hates dances. Yeah. She says she hates dances because no one ever asked her to dance. And Deke's all like, someone would have asked you to dance. And that's when she goes, well, I always kind of hoped you would ask me to dance. And sometimes I would just stand next to you at the dances. And he never even saw her. He doesn't even know her name. She had her glasses on. He couldn't see her. His neck has been damp with her like saliva and breath Uh for like 12 years. But so when she says that she did always hope Deke would ask her to dance, he's kind of liking it though. He's like, hey, well, you know, you do look pretty in that blue dress. He does tell her she looks pretty in the dress. And he gives her a real come hither look. But she is not taking the compliment like so many people. When he tells her she looks pretty, she says, no, I don't. I know my pluses and minuses. I'm smart, but I'm not pretty. And then Deke says, I think you look pretty. Whoa, okay. And then she says, oh, it's hot in here. (laughs) It most certainly is hot in here. Kind of fans her face and goes to stand by the window. (laughs) 
I was so tense at this point. I couldn't handle it. It was just too much awkwardness. I wrote, they both want each other so bad, but now they're just talking about sad things. Mm -hmm. A little too true to life here. I just want to say, though, I never went into some guy's hospital room and confessed my love to him. I might have done some things I regret, but I was too cool for that. I would have been to the hospital room and be like, hey, let's talk about sad things. But then like when you're like in a new relationship with someone, you're not doing fun things because you're not making out. But they're just talking about sad things and wanting to make out, which is like the worst thing in the world, right? Yeah. So Eleanor is flustered. How's uh, how's Deke Jr. seal the deal? Well, he says that he wished that he had asked her to dance. Had I known you existed, I would have asked you. That's not true. It's not true. would not have. The big picture is Deke is starting to look at the world outside of himself a little bit. And that continues. Eleanor starts to talk about how she knows she's not popular and it actually doesn't bother her, but it bothers her mom. Her mom really wants her to be popular and go to dances and it would just make her mom so happy if she could get a date to prom. And Eleanor doesn't care about that, but she would really like to make her mom happy. Now, this is something Deke can empathize with. Certainly. Yes. Parental pressure. He has a parent who he's been trying very hard to make happy. They begin to commiserate a little bit and Deke tries to push her away. He says something like, I'm tired. I'm tired. Just go. And he's getting a little emotional. But instead of leaving, she goes and sits on the edge of the bed and gives him a hug. And he leans in. He's crying on her shoulder. And this is the best moment of her life. Yes. Yeah. She's finally got exactly what she's looking for. The thing that I like about Highway to Heaven that I didn't expect was that like, while it sounds like to a certain extent, like we're making fun of these characters, but it's all been presented this way. But so much of Highway to Heaven, the people who are supposed to be good guys, there's always a little bit of a flaw. There's always a but. There's mm-hmm. always a little therefore for every person. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we're telling this pretty tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, while I'm watching this show, I am buying it all. It's mm-hmm. making me feel horribly awkward, but I am buying these characters' journeys. That's what I enjoy so much is I go, oh, I thought this was going to be like watching an HR video. Here's the hero. Here's the victim. Here's the so-and-so, but everybody is, uh, there's, there's dimensions. So next, we're going to go back to the rehab therapy gym. We're going to go to Jonathan. Mm-hmm. He is looking pretty cool in a little white muscle t-shirt. I'm a fan of a good muscle tee. Yeah, and I, is this he, where he was he wearing his cool. salmon pants? He was wearing his salmon pants, which Whoa. were only salmon colored. Maybe linen khaki blend. I couldn't tell which one. He looked cool. It was like mm-hmm. cool California. Any arm hair or shoulder hair present on Michael chest. Landon? Beautifully hairless. Perfectly <laughs> naturally hairless, I've heard. Naturally hairless. We don't see his chest. This is Lucky I'm going to digress, but separate from our podcast, I have a good girlfriend who loves Little House on the Prairie. As an adult, she's been rewatching and just really admiring the handsomeness that is Michael Landon, mm-hmm. especially when he takes his shirt off, because he is hairless when he takes his shirt off. She thought it was natural. When Rachel told me this, I was reminded of the time that our friend Brian called me up on the phone and said, hey, I'm watching some of these adult videos, and there's this act actress who's naturally hairless this is not your improv group joel this is not your improv group i'm sorry too far cart before the horse you know brian he's very powerful in the music industry his attorney will be on us Mm -hmm. in in five seconds there's no possible way i could air any of that so john's looking great in his salmon pants and his muscle Mm -hmm. shirt and he's wheeling deke through the pt room and then to kind of this little back room where there's the cork board and a bunch of crutches and artificial limbs hanging on the wall and there's a little television jonathan pops in a 
VHS tape. I want to show you a sport you can compete in. And Deke's like, oh, I don't want to play wheelchair basketball. He's like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with those wheelchair basketball people. They could smoke a bunch of people in the NBA in the wheelchairs. Jonathan shows Deke a tape of a young male gymnast yes. doing a routine on the pommel horse, which you might as well just look it up if you're not familiar with that. But the activity does primarily involve upper body strength. You're using your yeah. arms to sort of fling yourself through a routine and the legs are swinging free. It's sort of a constant handstand holding on to the handles on the pommel horse. And Deke is at first very reluctant. And then John pauses, turns to him and says, well, you never would have made it in the big leagues. You got no guts. Woof. Whoa. That's straight out of the mouth of Werner Herzog. Yeah, we got our John Most Nagy. of you in this theater will never make a film. And it is not because you do not have the talent. It is because you lack the guts to do so. And, and it, it kind of works. It works right away. Yeah. There's a pause, then Deke just turns and goes, okay. When do we start? John turns back and goes, tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, okay. we've, we've got some hopeful music. He's finally given himself a little something to play with here. We're outside the hospital, and Scotty is making his way back in, stops to say hi to Jonathan. Jonathan thanks Scotty for giving Deke a little pep talk. You know, there's a lot of, Joel likes to say, nagging people. Which like, isn't that's really the right what they word. Do. It's good-natured shaming. Poking. But so Jonathan thanks Scotty for doing that, because he started pushing Deke in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And then John says, hey, what do you doing tonight, Scotty? Scotty, Mark and I are going out to dinner. You want to come out to dinner with us? And Scotty's like, oh, the beats eating meat pie in the hospital. So yeah, Scotty's going out to dinner. It sounds like pretty fancy dinners at that hospital, meat pie. Have you been to many fancy restaurants, Sam? Not particularly. So we're going to go to the restaurant next. It is actually a fancy restaurant. John and Mark are both wearing suit coats. They're dressed very nice. They walk up to the hostess table and they're like, oh, hey, do you have a reservation? And they're like, nope. It's just going to be a short wait. So they say, why don't you go sit in the bar. Did they put a reservation down for Froman? I totally don't get that reference. Ferris, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Actually, that's probably my favorite John Hughes film. That is a good movie. I have seen it a number of times. So they're walking through the restaurant bar, and there's a couple at the bar. The man and the couple is drunk. Scotty shows up in his wheelchair, and as they walk past, the camera stays with the couple, and the wife is like, don't stare at him, Arnold. He has no idea that he's actually coming off looking very ridiculous. Yeah, and you're like, oh, he thinks he's being good, but he's just a drunk jerk. So drunk jerk calls over the waitress by saying, hey, hey, honey, honey, come over here. I want to get another drink. He's like, man, I don't know why the hell anyone would want to live like that. Oh, yeah. Buy that guy a drink for me. So here's alcohol again in the world of uh, Highway to Heaven. Oh, yes. Lest we forget Michael Landon's feelings on alcohol from the last episode. Yeah, he's not a fan. So all three of them sit down at a table. Scotty and Jonathan both order club soda. Mark orders a beer. The drunk comes over to Scotty and he's like, why didn't you buy my drink? Scotty jokes, uh, tries to diffuse it by saying like, I don't drink when I'm driving and (laughs) references the (laughs) wheelchair. The drunk gets mad and takes it personally. Because he fought in the war. No good American doesn't drink alcohol. Hey, look, I was just trying to be friendly, you know? And I said, thank you. Hey, look, I understand how you feel, but you don't have to take it out on me. The man said he didn't want to drink. It's all right, Mark. Why did you want to buy me the drink? Do I look thirstier than that? What are you talking about? I just asked you a question. Why me? Well, because... Because you feel sorry for me. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Hell, everybody needs a drink to forget their troubles. I know I do. Then maybe I should have sent you a drink. You need it. I don't. Oh, well. That's what I get for trying to be nice to a cripple. 
and he just stumbles off. So then there's this poisonous tension, tension Ooh, pause. Yeah, and these guys Ooh, just showed yeah. up for dinner, and nobody asked that guy to like ruin the night for right. him. Scotty looks around and he says, "Well, I'm glad that ended when it did. I was about to have to take him outside and pummel him." Nice. Breaks the tension. Everybody, everybody looks at each other, yeah. laughs. To be continued. End of episode. End one. of episode one. I love it. I don't know about you guys, but I could use a little refreshing ice water in my life. So how about we take a little break before we come back and discuss part two. See you soon, everybody. Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over. So getting back into it, let's talk about part two of A Fresh Batch of Lemonade. I don't feel like Deke Jr. has made much lemonade yet, but I feel like he's getting ready to make some here in part two. Yeah, we're sort of getting the ingredients ready. They do a little recap at the start of every episode, and I'm actually going to jump in at the end of that recap. It's when Jonathan is showing Deke the video of the gymnastics. And one thing we didn't touch on when we spoke about it earlier is that... As they're watching the routine, Deke asks about the dismount. A valid concern. Very valid concern. John tells Deke, well, you know what? You're going to have to start using those artificial limbs sometime, which we have not seen Deke use any artificial legs yet, but he's going to start. He says it's not going to be easy, but everyone falls on their face every once in a while. That adds another level of complexity to doing the pommel horse. Deke's ready to give it a try. It's some competition that he's able to participate Mm -hmm. in, and that's important to him to be able to do some form of competition. So this is the gym at the facility? Mm -hmm. Has a pommel horse in it? Well, Jonathan has a friend who has loaned them a pommel horse. So Jonathan has gotten access to a pommel horse. I do like that they address these inconsistencies because, of course, most therapy gyms aren't going to have a pommel horse. Jonathan introduces us to a young man named Richie. Richie, in fact, was the gymnast we saw in the VHS video that inspired Deke to give this a try. Richie has agreed to come in and coach Deke on the pommel horse. Did you guys look up any info on Richie? Is he a legit Olympic athlete or something? He is, actually. Oh, nice. So this was 1984. There were actually 1984 Olympics held in Los Angeles. I have a vague recollection of knowing that. Yeah, we all would have been pretty little, 
but that is familiar. Well, I'm liking how Michael Landon's celebrity can actually pull some legitimate co-stars on this show. I was pretty impressed. I recognized him. He looked familiar, mm-hmm. but I did have to look up who it was. It's Bart Connors. He was part of the U.S. gymnastics team in the summer of 1984, and he did win a number of gold medals. I believe the team won an all-around gold medal, and then he personally medaled in the parallel bars, not the pommel horse. Awesome. Yeah. He meets Richie, and then we see Deke getting fitted with artificial limbs and attempting to walk with artificial limbs. Is this a music montage of sorts? We are going into a big montage. Big montage. Okay. Yep. Then we cut to uh, Eleanor and Richie doing homework. Eleanor's making eyes at Richie. We need to see a little progression. So just yes. like we start seeing Deke trying on his prosthetic limbs, walking in the parallel bars, doing okay. The first time we see Eleanor and Deke working on homework, she looks at him and he looks at her for confirmation and she actually shakes her head no. And he throws his head back in exasperation. Right. This time he's walking on his prosthetic limbs using arm crutches, the kind that fit around your upper arm, sort of like a brace. And he's walking slowly using the crutches, but he's still doing a pretty good job. Then we see him starting out on the pommel yeah. horse, lifting himself up. Then we cut to Scotty, who's there watching him. Scotty's working on his own projects. He's right. not in the background just watching. I think at this point he's working on typing. Now we're going back to Eleanor and Deke doing homework again. And this time it's happy. Yeah, they are outside. She's beaming with pride. And she shakes her head, yes, like, yes, you got it. Mm -hmm. They both look at each other and smile. So happy. Next, he's walking without any assistive device. No crutches, no parallel bars, using the prosthetic limbs. There are three people watching him, all in a row, all dressed in plaid. Variations on plaid. There's a red-green convention in town. (laughs) It's his mom, Susan, Eleanor, and this little boy that we meet for the first time, his little brother. This has happened in a few episodes where suddenly just a little kid will show up or be in the scene for a reason we can't quite figure out. So they don't explain who it is, but he's there with Eleanor and the mom watching Deke walking the length of the therapy room. So in the Highway to Heaven universe, every family has at least two children. So far. There's just one interesting kid with Mm -hmm. problems who gets to be on the show and one who's not interesting. so he's walking across the room. They're watching him. He raises his hand in the air in success. He like made a it V for victory. Like what you would do after you maybe land a jump. And then he trips and he falls, hits the ground. Do his legs fall off? No. <laughs> No, no, he just falls over. And there's a shocked silence where nobody knows how to react until Deke sits up and just starts laughing, which is then an invitation for everyone else to laugh too. So Deke is doing great. His attitude's improved. But his his father's at least there. No, no. not in the montage. It's just mom, Eleanor, and the new little brother. So we're actually going to go back to Deke's hospital room. And Deke's in bed. Eleanor comes in and she's carrying a couple bags of food and she says that she's got them hamburgers. Deke, however, is once again in a somber mood. What's the contents of his rain cloud today? Well, he just found out that his parents are getting divorced. He just got the phone call, even though that happened weeks, months ago. That's another example of poor 80s parenting. Last episode, there was the parents who, rather than just say that Ronnie Blakely was out pursuing a country music career, decided to tell her that her mom was dead. I feel like people do that with grandparents often. Well, we don't want to let grandpa know that something or other has happened because they're sick right now in the hospital. The longer it goes, the harder it must get. Sure. I think think. I should have told him last week. I should have told him 
yesterday. And then they just don't tell him. Now Eleanor's come in and she's happy and she's brought him a hamburger and he can't even enjoy it. He gets mad again. Probably no surprise. Deke thinks it's all his fault. I mean, this right. is his father's decision mm-hmm. on some level, don't you think? I think so. And his father also has not been visiting him. His father is being a real deadbeat dad mm-hmm. right now. If we could bring back that phrase from the 80s. Deadbeat dad. Deadbeat dad. What I like about Eleanor is that she seems to recognize this. She's like, hey, look, it sounds to me like your dad has his own problems. That's true. Don't let your dad be an excuse for you to not be able to do things. She says, it looks like your dad is using you as an excuse. Don't let your dad be an excuse for you. I don't know about you guys, but it sounds like Eleanor is a hell of a catch. Deke tries to push her away. It's it's what he knows. You get these patterns ingrained and they're hard to step out of. He's pretty mean to her. He tries to push her away. She won't let him. And then he says, you're the only one who got something out of my accident, Eleanor. You finally got a boyfriend who couldn't run away from you. Whoa. Right? It gets her. Yeah. yeah that's a step too far. Man. It's probably because it's a little true. And she says to him, Deke, you're not the only one in this world who can hurt. And then she does leave. And then mm. he pushes the hamburgers off the table. And the telephone. Everything he's going to regret that later because he's going to be hungry for dinner and wish that he didn't make it floor food. Right. Well, well, more power to Eleanor for leaving. There is some point where you do have to stand up for yourself. And I mean, if somebody's going to cross the line like that, don't give them more audience in the room. There's a scene in the animated Beauty and the Beast where the Beast pushes Belle away and, and snarls at her and screams for her to leave. And then she runs away. And as she runs away and he finishes snarling, he's alone. And there's a pause. And then he expresses regret for having blown up. I believe in the live action version, they cut out that regret scene. So it's just him snarling and being mean so there's no self-reflection Joel I, I want to thank you for being so open with us and admitting that you've seen the live action version of Beauty and the Beast it's actually not too bad if you have thoughts on the new live action Aladdin movie please <laughs> let us know certainly will so now Deke is angry and he's in the therapy room is the therapist Wallace Shawn please say it's Wallace Shawn no, it's just it's just Richie again. Okay, so Richie, Richie the, the, the Olympiad mm-hmm. is still here. Yeah, he was part of the montage. So he has been training Deke, presumably, on the pommel horse. And Deke comes rolling into the gym, pushing himself in in his wheelchair. And Richie is on the pommel horse doing a gymnastics routine. Apparently, Deke is late. Richie says something about that. And Deke very sarcastically to Richie says, I was in my room counting my blessings. Did uh, Richie have cool moves. Let's not gloss over the showcasing of the U.S. Olympians uh, yeah. pommel horse routine. It was as good as you would expect. Yeah, he didn't fall off or anything. So he's doing great. Deke is mad. Oh, Jonathan is there too, excuse me. Deke said he's tired of trying to win one for his dad. And John says, why don't you just let your dad win his own victories? Deke is just not in a place to hear it. He's back in the dark place. He's trying to push everybody away. He says he's going to quit gymnastics. Apparently Deke Jr. is actually doing really well at gymnastics. And Sounds like it. Richie tries to tell him he's too good. He's like, you can't quit. You're doing great. You can't just quit after all this work. Deke's still upset, though. He says... Uh, do you want to do a little reenactment here, Joel? I'll be Deke Jr. Okay. Come on, man. What do you care? Find some other cripple you can help. Deke, you've come too far. You're good. Get out of my life, man. Who do you think you are? I'm the guy who hit you. That's who. It wasn't my fault that it happened, but it did. Whoa! Right? Right? right. That's exactly what Joel yeah. and I did when we were watching whoa. it. Oh! We both turned each other like, whoa! Wow! 
Wow. <laughs> that came as a surprise. That's a stunning twist. Right, but it all makes sense now. Richie is the kid who might not be competing at state because he got in this accident. And Jonathan's trying to help him pay it back a little bit. So similar to the previous episode with the way that they found two sets of problems, but then found a complementary way to solve them, whether it was the old folks and the boxing gym uh, being overrun by the gang. And then they found that, hey, maybe we aren't the people to solve this problem, but maybe we can be the producers of the solution Yeah, in a way. This one works a lot better. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a, the, I'm, I didn't even watch this show, and I feel like I feel like that sort of moment in that show just washed over me like crazy. Yeah, it was highly effective. This must snap Deke Jr. out of something. Does oh. this readjust his worldview in any way, shape, or form? It just pushes that anger up past level ten. He is he is Whoa. just off the charts. He turns so he turns mad. to Jonathan and goes, "You know this was the guy that did this. Well." Now it all makes sense to me. This is the Let's Feel Sorry for Deke Club, isn't it? Well, I'm sorry to wreck it all for you. And Richie, I want to thank you for all your help. Very sarcastic. <laughs> he walks away while Scotty's working on the typewriter and just watching. Yeah, I mean, Deke's doing his best to storm off, but he does have prosthetic legs, so he can really only walk pretty slowly. <laughs> but he's doing it in a very angry fashion. Just a rolling boil yes. all the way down the hallway. <laughs> lots of dark looks, lots of furrowed eyebrows. Where's the next scene take place? There's just a kind of long shot of Scotty making his way down the hallway. And then he goes into Deke's room. Deke's in bed. The lights are off. And he tells Scotty he doesn't want to talk. Scotty's kind of ready to bring it. Scotty tells Deke that Deke has been talking enough. It is time for Deke to listen. This is the part that, like, if we were to include clips in an episode, it would almost be better having Scotty saying these lines because he's so good and convincing. Well, let's do it. it. Let's cut to that clip. I don't feel like talking right now, Scotty. That's good. Because you've been talking enough. So right now you listen. I told you that I tried to live in the minute. To think of what I have, not what I don't have. People who aren't on wheels are dumb enough. But when I see somebody who ought to know better throwing away what I'll never have, it drives me crazy. You know what I wish? I wish I could get one arm to move. You know why? I'm asking you a question, you know why? Hey, I don't care why, okay? Good enough for you? Not good enough. Nowhere near good enough. See, because if I could get just one arm to move, I wouldn't have to have some nurse come in and wipe me when I go to the bathroom. Pretty basic, isn't it? And then I see you. And you got a chance to go out there and make people see you. Not your wheelchair, not your prosthesis or your crutches. You got a chance to make them see you. And you got a chance to fly around that horse like Superman or something. Something most people with legs could never do. You got a chance to stretch up and fly. And you're throwing it away because you're afraid to live without the crutch. What crutch? Being handicapped. That's the best crutch in the world. Don't expect anything from me. I'm just a poor cripple. And every time somebody like you does that, it makes it that much harder for me. I'm going to be a lawyer. And you're throwing a roadblock up in my way because you make those turkeys think I can't do something because I'm handicapped too. Let me tell you something, pal. 
I am more than just the parts of my body that don't work. And so are you. But if you can't live without the excuse of being handicapped, then go hide in a closet somewhere until you can. You make things a hell of a lot easier for the rest of us. This is a weighted speech. The word hell gets thrown in. A lot in this episode. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But he's glad all the lights were off to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they weren't driving. <laughs> they, they, they kind of flashed it when he said hell. Just for emphasis. So Scotty leaves, and then we see Deke. He's thinking it like he's he has been reached. He is mm-hmm. thinking about what Scotty has said to him. And then the next thing Deke does, he picks up his call light and hits the call light. Nurse comes in incredibly fast and asks what he needs. And he says that he wants her to call Jonathan and tell him that they have a date for therapy the next morning. He's getting back into it. Do we zip right to the next morning's therapy session? There is a very shortcut to actually Richie the gymnastic coach to his house and it's Richie's father Richard answering the phone he picks up the phone and it's Jonathan calling the father Richard to tell him that Deke wants to train again and the father is so relieved because Richie had come home just heartbroken and so Richard just says thank god this is going to be such great news Mm -hmm. so Richie knows that they're back on for training doesn't anybody have any better ideas when their children are born than naming them after themselves (laughs) I think this is lazy writing. First of all, have you ever met a person named Deke? And then they're saying, well, in this town, there's two of them. Do you think at all that they were really concerned for their audience and they were just trying to make sure people didn't get confused with this double father-son relationships going on? And they thought, well, it'll just be simpler. We'll keep the names exactly the same. And then they can say Deke goes with Deke, Richie goes with Rich. I think you make a good point. Thanks. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> I confused me. I confused us. Where are we? We're back at the gym. Yes. So Deke is ready to train again. We've got motivational, jazzy, upbeat synthesizer music, short montage of Deke doing sit-ups. He's doing weights. He's doing bicep curls. He's on the pommel horse. Scotty's watching him. Scotty's working on his own thing. He's again working on the typewriter with using his mouth stick to type the keys. He kind of nods for Deke to come over. Richie with Deke standing there watching him types out, not bad, dot, 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 for a geek. And Deke and Scotty laugh. Making friends. Yeah. We're back on track. So now we cut ahead and it's it's nighttime and they're outside. Scotty's sitting out there by himself and John comes up to him and is just like, hey, what's wrong? Don't you have your big test? Don't you have your big law exam tomorrow with the bar? And he does say, it's two o'clock in the morning, Scotty. Again, Jonathan is just lurking overnight. So Michael Landon's lurking like a vampire Mm. at the hospital at two in the morning. Yeah, Yeah. That's fine, I guess. Looking for someone with heartache or negative emotions. But Scotty did need someone to talk to. He did. And he tells him that he feels obligated to other folks who are injured, who have injuries. He feels obligated not to fail, not just for himself, but for them. Scotty has, I believe, the bar exam tomorrow. So this is the final, are you going to pass the bar and be a lawyer? If I fail, I'm failing not just me, but I'm failing all of them. He's placing a lot on himself. And Jonathan does say, oh, come on, Scotty, this this is tough enough without carrying other people on your shoulders. Scotty says, what do I do if I don't pass? I'm not like everybody else. John says, funny, that's what I thought you were trying to prove. Which is pretty much what he was saying to Deke, is that people with a disability should be treated like they're everyone else. And yet here's Scotty taking on all of the disabled world onto his shoulders, doesn't know what he's going to do if he doesn't pass his exam. Scotty turns to John and says, Jonathan, you have a funny way of kicking out a guy's crutch. John says, well, now that I've kicked out your crutch... 
How about we get some sleep? Well, that's a, a beautifully illustrated existential crisis, mm-hmm. don't you think? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I, I just really like that line, summing up Jonathan as being a guy who has a funny way of kick, goes around kicking out people's crutches. I like that too. Versus we saying that he's nagging people because I don't really like the whole <laughs> idea of reemphasizing, you know, the game and all that. He's clearly done that in every episode leading up to this, and I agree with you, Joel. It's a, a better phrase than nagging is. Yeah. Maybe we should just start using the crutch, crutch kicker. kicker. He's the kicking crutch out kicker. the crutches. Next, we just hear a loud noise of kazoos being blown. <laughs> it's a party. <laughs> and a parade of people on wheelchairs riding, blowing kazoos and noisemakers. Is it outside or is it in the hospital? It's in the hospital. It's in the rehab gym. And Scotty is up at the front and they're like yelling for him to give a speech. It's a party for Scotty because of course he passed the bar. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Good job, Scotty. Scotty is a lawyer. He gives a little speech about the importance of making a promise with yourself versus making a promise with other people. He says, it doesn't do any good to promise other people. It's too easy to jive them if you want to. You can't jive yourself. And All right. Everyone just starts clapping. And the camera zooms in on a mysterious old man in a plaid shirt who starts crying. Yes, Almost everyone is clapping. So it's not Deke Sr. It's a different old guy in a plaid. A new old guy. New probably old guy. older. Probably this in his is, 80s. This show is not bashful about how late it introduces characters to oh finish goodness. stories for them. Not at all. Well, if you were going to send somebody in to investigate who this old guy is, out of all of the characters we know, who would you send in to investigate? If I saw a mysterious old guy in the back of the gym dressed in plaid crying during Scotty's speech, I would uh, I'd say, hey, Mark. You're an emotional loose cannon. Go talk to that guy for me. Bingo. You all right? Yeah, yeah, I am. That's the problem. What are you talking about? I'm talking about me being here. I don't have to be here. Do you know what Scotty was talking about today? Well, making yourself a a promise and, and keeping it? Yeah. I made that promise. Boncho, but I never kept it. What was it? To stop pretending that I had to be here and to, and to call my son and, and tell him I was ready to go home. I've been ready a long time. His son said that, you know, you can come home and stay with me, but he's afraid about going home because his son is going to have to take care of him. He's not ready to face that. So Mark kicks his crutch and says, at your age, do you think he needs the toughest dad on the block? Do you think he's walking around saying, my dad can beat up your dad? No, that'd be crazy. But you took care of him and helped bring him around. And how'd that make you feel? It made you feel great, right? Why are you denying this from your son? This is his chance to feel that from you. He convinces him to go and call his son. Then we quickly see Mac on the phone and he hangs up the phone and he turns to Mark and he says, my son told me to get my butt home. My son needs his father. Aww. Lots of talking about the father in this episode and the challenges that go along with it in various ways. Okay, uh, Mark showed up for work that day. Yeah, Mark does good in this episode. That interaction certainly went a lot better than his last talk with Satan's helpers. We are all capable of change, and Mark is showing us that. At this point, how many episodes have dealt with aging and getting older and the struggles that go along with that? (laughs) This is the third or fourth, at least. Easily. You've got to know your audience. And I think Michael Landon knows his audience. 
I know that this show has been referred to, I think, by both of you as a show that you remember grandparents watching. I personally don't associate it with that so much. But Michael Landon, having come off a very family-oriented show like Little House on the Prairie, this does not surprise me at all that there's a portrayal of the many layers of a family. Right. I mean, that was the model that brought success to the previous show. So bring it into this one. So this guy is not necessarily related directly to Scotty? No, actually, this older gentleman, Mac, is apparently related to nobody. Mm -hmm. They made the choice to do this little five-minute... Interstitial. Interstitial scene. I don't know if the idea is to showcase Mark's changing, just to get another chance to talk about the father-son dynamic. One thing they do really well in this episode is somehow manage to tell people what they don't want to hear and speak the truth, but in a way that rather than alienating their audience actually changes their audience's perspective. I want to figure out how to do that because that's happening throughout the episode. So uh, that old guy isn't related to anybody, but had a very cathartic storyline for that scene. So where are we back with our A story? Eleanor's house. Eleanor's house. And the doorbell rings. Eleanor answers the door and it's Jonathan. And I do want to note that he is dressed all in denim. He's got jeans and he's rocking the denim shirt. Top to bottom denim. He's looking good. No belt. Wow. Confident. No one wears a belt in this episode. I didn't wear a belt today because of these episodes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Show of solidarity, Joel. Eleanor answers the door and it's Jonathan. And Jonathan is there to tell Eleanor that Deke wants a second chance. He's changed. I mean, Eleanor is hesitant. She's just not sure she wants to go back and get hurt all over again. You know, we give away our heart, but then the wolves attack. But then a bigger heart grows back. I like that saying. So uh, Eleanor <laughs> takes about, uh, about... I do like that saying. That is a nice <laughs> saying. The whole thing is that we grew up believing good wins over bad. So you gave away your heart, but the wolves attack. What song is that from, Joel? It's by Cloud Cult. Shout out to Cloud Cult. Whoop. Uh, As you were saying, Rachel. So she needs about 10 seconds to think about it. And then she agrees to go back and see Deke. Okay. So she really likes Deke still. She likes Deke still. Of course she does. You know, we saw Deke at his absolute worst, which was pretty bad. He was also pretty grumpy at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And she was into it then. Yeah. He's also pretty hot. So, And she's gotten to know the family as well. So the next thing we see is Eleanor is walking back into Deke's room. Deke is standing up next to the bed and he's actually packing a bag. So it looks like he is packing up to go home. He's wearing a very low cut purple and red plaid button down shirt with really wide lapels, almost like what would be on a suit coat. And it it buttons like just above the nipple. It sounds very strange. Hairless. Naturally. (laughs) If Victor French ever takes off his shirt, there's grass on the field, isn't there? Oh, yeah. We'll see. There's got to be. So maybe the Highway to Heaven universe isn't totally hairless torsos across the board. Maybe there are exceptions. So far, it's all hairless. If you're handsome, you're hairless. Yeah. According to this show. Well, that's a tough beauty standard, guys. Tell me about it. Guys, I don't even remember what's going on on the television show anymore. He's packing to go home. Eleanor comes in and he apologizes. He apologizes. To her. He says, it wasn't true what I said about me not being able to run away from you. And then Eleanor says, well, actually, it was true. She's like, there's some, there's <laughs> you, a little something to it. You were the first boy who couldn't run away from me. So it's, it's like, okay, things are forgiven. Well, that's and sweet. An apology goes a long way. It's nice of Deke Jr. to be, you know, 
man enough to do so. We've seen him go through quite an emotional journey, so we have to imagine that was not an easy thing to do. Does Eleanor escort Deke out of the hospital? Do they leave together? They're getting back to normal pretty quickly following that apology, talking about Deke being excited to go home, but he's a little worried about seeing his dad. We find out that Deke is competing in a gymnastics meet on Friday. Oh, excellent. Yeah, he's actually going to be competing in the same meet that Richie is. Also, prom is coming up, Mm -hmm. and he asked Eleanor to teach him to dance. Didn't Eleanor say that she didn't like dancing? Right. Right. So why? (laughs) This is all backwards. She's like, why do you want to learn how to dance? And he's like, well, I'd like to learn to dance in case we wanted to ever go to the prom or something. They are dancing at this point. While Deke says there's not much else to do at the prom, Eleanor says, did you just ask me to prom? Then they both smile really close at each other. It gets a little weird. Then it looks like he's whispering into her. Her mouth. So we actually watch the, we watch the scene. The camera starts pulling times. back. He starts whispering into her mouth. Well, the camera's pulling back and also panning to the side a little bit, uh-huh. and their heads are moving from her head on his shoulder, sort of lining up for kiss position. And he looks like he's leaning in, but the camera angle is such that it's actually obscuring the faces to the extent that we couldn't tell what was happening. We were both stuck in a question of did they actually just kiss or did they just speak really closely to each other it was hard to tell because it's like he puckers up to kiss her but the last yeah. we see of her mouth it's like open wide maybe she was going for the tongue tornado move and he was going for like a peck on the cheek so then he got nervous and he just started whispering in yeah. her mouth a classic first awkward kiss yeah it's it's absolutely as confusing as it sounds i mean yeah. if eleanor is gonna have a first awkward kiss this was it so now we are at Deke Dad Sr.'s hotel room. What does good old Deke Sr. have to say from his vantage point atop his despair tower at the motel? Well, you know who's actually gone to talk to Dad Sr. Deke again is Mark. Mark is actually there just to remind him that his son has a gymnastics meet tomorrow. And he's basically telling him you're going to be there, right? Well, like his son, though, he's packing up to leave. Whatever it is, make it quick. I'm in the middle of packing you got a flight out tomorrow. Your son's meets tomorrow. Yeah, I know. And you're not going to be there. Yeah, well, this trip came up, and uh, you got to go. Well, what do I want to be there for? He's just going to go out there and be a freak show for those people, you know? A crippled gymnast. Yeah, just a freak show. He's going out there because he thinks you don't want anything to do with him unless he's a winner. Well, he's not going to be a winner anymore. You think I don't want that for him? I'd give anything to give him back his legs. But your son doesn't want your pity. He wants you. He needs to think he can still amount to something, and he needs you to be in his corner to tell him he's right. Yeah, well, if that's what he needs, I'm the last person in the world to hold up as a shining example because I never amounted to a hill of beans. I'm just a working stiff who never made it. You're his old man, idiot. There is nothing in the world bigger and better than that to a kid. This isn't about you, Deke Sr. This is not about you. And Mark does a pretty good job of trying to kick out Deke Sr.'s crutch. He tries. Mm -hmm. He tries. He he basically says, he doesn't need your pity. He doesn't need all this whiny complaining. He needs his dad. He, He just needs you to show up. Your family needs you to show up, but dad's not hearing it. Mark says at the end, it's hard to believe that your kid wanted to grow up to be you. Then he leaves. That was a sick bird, Mark. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) 
I'll have to oh use that one gosh. on one of my enemies. Yeah. I, I was pretty anti-Mark the last couple episodes. I'm pro-Mark this episode. I agree. Mark really won me back over this episode. We are slowly making our way towards the meet. We're getting there. But first, we have to go to Deke's house at night. Deke and his mom are both up because they can't sleep. They're both kind of just stressed, anxious about things. And they're really all feeling like the breakup of their family has been their fault. They're blaming each other for what's going, what went wrong. Themselves. They're blaming themselves. Yeah. Deke comes up with a theory and his theory is that, you know, we didn't talk as a family. It was about communication. And at the time we had a perfect family. And so that when things went wrong, we didn't know what to do. Which seems so simple, but I actually think he's <laughs> like 100% behind most of the problems in human relationships. His angle was like, if our family wasn't completely perfect, and wonderful, like we would have maybe had some opportunities for incremental growth versus perfection than catastrophe. Yeah, but we had a perfect life and then something really bad happened. This family is busted to pieces. Mm -hmm. Well, he tells his mom that he loves her and that they'll be all right. Yeah, and, and it actually he does have a good moment of realization because they, mm -hmm. they're realizing that they are all taking responsibility for things and that's not the right answer. And Deke also says that he's actually learned a lot from this accident, that he wouldn't have chosen to learn it this way, but as a result of an accident, he's really grown as a person, which I think we've seen. Yeah, he's proved that. Yeah, and he, he's come to some resolution with his baseball career because he does say, at some point in my life, I would have had to stop playing baseball one way or another my baseball career would have ended this isn't how i expected it but i've realized it would happen at some point and i've come to some closure about that they hug they cry there's some gentle music and then the camera pans over to the trophies and then it stops on the bronzed baby booties so whose booties are those deke juniors i think okay i didn't completely get the significance of the baby shoes and then the return shot to the baby shoes i don't know if either of you have any thoughts on that i do he like lost his feet oh duh oh my gosh oh my gosh guys i am so unaware of what's happening in front of my face i really even having watched this and typed it up didn't occur to me joel and so now it's the next morning and we see deke senior leaving the safari inn a taxi pulls up and he yells, ah, airport, please. And he gets in the cab to the airport. Yes. And then real quick, we're going to cut to the start of the gymnastics meet. We see Richie's there warming up. Deke is there warming up. Richie goes over to wish Deke good luck. Everyone's getting ready. And then we see Mark is uh, pushing Scotty in. So Mark and Scotty have come to watch the gymnastics meet. Mark actually brings Mac, the old gentleman, in too. So it's Mark and Scotty and Mac. Mac, the old guy, uh -huh. is the dog of the montage from the Touch the Moon episode. Exactly. Like, just all of a sudden, there's a family dog. Mm -hmm. Boom. There's Mac. We've got another good Scotty, just one-liner here. I'm going to get Max. You sit tight and relax. Hey, Mark, I'm paralyzed from the neck down. How much more relaxed do you think I can get? <laughs> Uh, fun fact, not fun fact. Not fun fact. Scotty, the actor Jim Troche, actually passed away early. I'm not sure exactly what, but I believe it was just complications related to being a quadriplegic at the age of 54. So the three actors who appeared in the most episodes of Highway to Heaven all passed away at 54. Numerologists, why don't you get on oh the goodness. hotline to heaven and explain the 54 trifecta? Please. 
please. to us right now because it's bone chilling. So then we uh, leave the meat and we're back at the taxi. Deke Dad is trying to make his way to the airport. Tire blows out. Somebody said hell in the car. That's right. <laughs> right? Somebody said hell in the car. They must have. Sorry, I'm going to have to change a tire. Will I still make my flight? Yeah, not by much, but we'll make it. A second tire blows out. What's going on here? This is all new rubber. Well, can you get on the radio and get me another cab? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm sorry about this. (laughs) Dispatcher L35. Dispatcher L35. Why me, God? Now my radio's gone. I'll do the best I can. Sorry. The cab is out of commission. Okay. Because Deke Sr., he's trying to get to the airport, get away from his son. And God wants him to be at that gymnastics meet. Yes, so. and another example of God working through cars for the greater good. What I like about this is that God is like a gremlin in the machine. Like, <laughs> Then there's a horn honk, and a blue car pulls up. Hey, you got a problem? Well, yeah, I was going to the airport, and the whole cab fell apart. Hey, well, I'm going to jump in. Great, thanks. Boy, you couldn't have come along at a better time. Yeah. Must be your lucky day. It's Jonathan. Of course it is. And then all of a sudden he's like, wait, wh- why are you stopping here? John hijacks the dad. I'm stopping here for your son's gym meet. I've been working with your boy. He's like, oh, you're from the hospital? He's like, yeah, that's right. And you know what? You're going to miss your plane anyway. Why not just come inside? Jonathan says to dad, you were a minor league baseball player, but you have a chance to be a major league father. It's up to you. <laughs> And then Jonathan just gets out of the car. He just leaves him sitting in the car. I'll be inside with your boy. So we're at the meetup. We are at the gymnastics meet. We hear Deke's name get announced. He's going to be up next. Dad walks in, goes up to sit with his family in the bleachers. And Eleanor's there too. Deke goes up to the pommel horse and begins his pommel horse routine. He does great. And there's a montage, happy pommel horse, good performance music going. Shots of everybody in the crowd watching, smiling. Dad is like so impressed. Everything's just going great he's finally achieved something in competition he's come so far and now he's doing something that most of those people who are watching him couldn't do themselves and they're really happy for him and he falls off he hits the ground hard hard. harder than he did at the clinic yeah yeah. way harder way harder nobody knows how to react they thought he was dead Yeah, probably. He gets up and laughs, doesn't he? He doesn't laugh. He doesn't laugh. He just very slowly pulls himself up. And as you can imagine, everyone starts applauding. Actually, the dad starts first. Stands up and starts clapping. The dad starts the slow clap. Dad stands up, starts the slow clap. A sense of serenity and awe then passes over Deke's face yep, as and he's watching this. The whole crowd is on their feet. Everyone is applauding. Shot of Richie applauding and crying. Tears coming down. Yeah, It's been a long journey for Richie, too. Oh, my gosh. Dad walks up to his son, and Deke says to his dad, I'm sorry I didn't win. Dad says... Who gives a damn? And Deke says, I've been waiting to hear you say that. I love you. They both tell each other that they love each other. And then his dad says to him, walk like a champion. Deke says, you got it. 
that. And then he walks over to the bleachers. Family comes down, all surround the, him. All the gym folks and all the other gymnastics come around him. Big group hug. Shots of Mark and Scotty smiling. Then mm-hmm. the camera zooms in on Scotty's smiling face and hangs there. The end. Roll credits. Wow. 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 That's a hell of a payoff at the end. Yeah. This is a big one. Yeah. That's a big, big Mm -hmm. one. As we're developing habits here on the podcast, this is the section of the show where we discuss the moral of the story. I don't know if it's tradition, but maybe I should begin. The moral of the story is, listen, in this moral, it starts with the word listen. (laughs) Listen. (laughs) Listen. Listen. Everybody's a stupid teenager at some point in their life. And don't forget these three things. Be careful, be yourself, and don't try to live out your parents' dreams. Live out your own dreams. And if bad stuff happens to you, you can get through it, but you have to do the work. That's a a good takeaway. Sound advice. What about you, Joel? What's the moral of the story for you? One of the big realizations I had when watching this show was how everybody's problems generally just seemed to be solved by talking through their problems with somebody else. And then somebody frequently giving like tough advice, not just being like, oh, that's really hard. The moral of this story is that if you are feeling damaged, communicate with someone who also isn't damaged so they can give you like the perspective of normalcy. Talk to somebody who's in a space where they're feeling normal and they can give you input of what the regular world is like. I like it. Me too. All right, Rachel, what's your takeaway? I think that the the one thing that really stuck with me as I watched this is just that all of the main characters in this show all feel that they're deficient in something. They're all trying to be something different and in different ways throughout the show, they are reassured that who they are and where they are is perfectly adequate and is enough enough and they're doing okay. And that's something that on one hand is really simple, but also I think humanity in general struggles with the idea that you need to be something different or be some other way in order to be successful or to make people like you or to get a date to prom. And you Mm -hmm. don't have to, you know, you can be your little nerdy self and it's going to be okay. You can find people who will love you just the way you are. And then my second takeaway is if you get a chance to have a gymnast teach you how to to do the pommel horse, totally take it. Because that doesn't come along very often. Not very often, mm-hmm. and especially not for free. No. The next stage of wrapping up any show is yeah. discussing the Michael Landon factor of the episode. And since this is a two-parter, it will be a Michael Landon factor that spans both episodes. Who would like to begin on the rating of the Landons? Ten. All right, Joe coming in hot with a Michael Landon factor of 10. We haven't seen a 10 since, well, you rated the first episode a 10, Rachel. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's... You kind of regretted it, right? No surprise, I'm having some trouble with that decision. Judging by the look on your face right Right. now, it's still a sticky issue. Because Rachel in the moment really felt strongly about that decision. But, you know, right now, it leaves me in a little bit of a quandary because I want to score this one really high, but I can't just be throwing out 10s left and right. We have a lot of episodes. Episodes to go. Well, this is your show. You can do whatever you want. And let me remind you, according to at least my perspective, there was a lot of Michael Landon one-liners present in that first episode. They were aiming for the fences, like Arnold Schwarzenegger dialogue in The Running Man. Yeah, they were setting up the precedent pretty hard in that first episode, really just like hitting us over the heads with it. On that note, I am going to have to go with a nine. It was a huge presence. We had some great conversations. Mark had a pretty strong presence. True. You know what? I'm going eight. 
All I'm changing right. it. I'm eight. going with an eight. I mean, it was a great episode. I stand by what we said at the start. I would recommend if you're going to watch one, this is a good one to watch. So an overall landing factor for season one, episodes six and seven of Highway to Heaven have an overall Michael Landon factor of 9.0. I like it. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that brings this special two-part podcast to an end for the day. Joel and Rachel, thank you once again for a stunning experience of storytelling. Thank you, Sam. I just can't imagine a better way to spend an afternoon. Me either, Sam. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. The physical part of this job isn't that bad, but it's putting up with my lunatic father that might get to you. If you guys last a month, I'll double your pay. Our father is not a lunatic. What else do you call someone who thinks he's King Arthur? Brave knight, rein your dragon in or defend yourself. Ah, get out of my way, you maniac. Maniac! For that, the dragon shall die. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-FLOW-BIZ-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or send the show an email at Highway to Heaven Revisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.